Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. It's going to be it. Way back there. Oh, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Hey guys, I just want to tell you, I'm going to intro this. Uh, I spoke to a gentleman by the name of Costa Kennedy. He's a Sports Illustrated writer. He's written books on Joe DiMaggio, Pete Rose, award-winning. And all of that is fine. If you know his stuff, you know that thorough, investigative, fair on top of everything else. But I really was interested with Jackie Robinson Day around baseball last week and now celebrating it here in Atlanta as the Braves come home to play the Marlins. The name of the book is True, The Four Seasons of Jackie Robinson. You'll hear when we talk, why he took the approach he did in writing this book. When I had spoken to him, I had read two of the chapters, the seasons. Uh, and, and the winter season of 1972, the year that Jackie passes, is fascinating. Because I think even 50 years after his passing, 75 years after he broke the color barrier, there still needed to be more time to really talk about an import, not just of a day, April 15th, 1947, but of a man's life. And you'll hear during this interview, and you'll certainly read if you pick up his book, uh, the Jackie Robinson story, not 1947, 1946, 1949, when he was the best player in baseball, 1956, the year he actually retires, and then fast forward to 1972. I thought it was a really original approach on how to do a book, and I can promise you, if nothing else, the research done, the people he spoke to, the archival material that Costa went to find and made part of this book is truly worth it. Uh, For all of you who don't know, my dad was born in Brooklyn. My daughter's name is Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. We were big Met fans in my house because the Dodgers moved. My dad was never going to root for the Dodgers, never going to root for the Yankees. Here come the Mets as a New York team in the National League. The point is I've had an opportunity to speak to Pee Wee Reese, Duke Snyder, Carl Erskine, uh, and others, Don Newcomb, Joe Black. Uh, So my age sort of, I know a little bit more about that team in the 50s before I was born than a lot of other people. This book, much like The Boys of Summer, really gives you an idea of what baseball was like, what socially baseball's impact on the United States was, and how those two at times can not only uh, intersect but actually collide. And this book really brings that out. I don't pimp for books very often. I don't speak to many authors. This one is worth it. I hope you enjoy the conversation. More than that, though, I really do hope if you have the money or if you have the time and the want to read, wherever you might find a book, True, The Four Seasons of Jackie Robinson, I can tell you right now, is well worth the pickup. The name of the book is True, The Four Seasons of Jackie Robinson, and you will understand what the four seasons actually are coming up in a second. Award-winning author Costa Kennedy is the gentleman who wrote it. We will talk to him right now. Costa, thank you very much, and and please explain to everybody quickly what The Four Seasons is and what was the premise when you decided you were going to write on Jackie, the 50th anniversary of his passing, 75th anniversary of him breaking the color barrier. Why this approach to doing this book? 
a, a really good question. And, you know, so the, the book is the full title, True, the Four Seasons of Jackie Robinson. And those four years, uh, they're specific seasons or years in his life. Uh, they're also metaphorically the spring, summer, autumn, and winter of Robinson's sort of public and athletic life. And I wanted to have a, a way to, to look at him uh, sort of clearly over the years without sort of having the narrative force me or force us as we read and gaze with it to sort of go through everything blow by blow. There's a series of movies by uh, by a man named Michael Apted called Seven Up, 14 Up, 28 Up. And what it is is a documentary where they visited with a cohort of people, uh, kids when they were seven, then visited again with them when they were 14, 21, and you're seeing their lives in that window remarkable series and that was somewhat of an inspiration to me in in how i structured it um and and i think you know the first year is 1946 when he's the year before he breaks into the national league of course but he is really integrating beginning to integrate baseball then he's the only black player in the, in the all-white international league he's playing for the montreal royals but playing the majority of their road games on, on u.s soil um and then the the next year 1949 the figurative summer you know, Robinson is simply the best baseball player alive. Uh, regardless of everything else, he is, he's the most effective, impactful in-game player in either league. He does win the MVP that year. We go to 1956, the, the autumn, which is his final year, uh, and, and he's, he's beset by some physical challenges, but, but really kind of rallied after a difficult year in 1955 to be quite a productive player in, uh, in 1956, and he's beginning to look at his life what would be a very important life after the game. The, the final season, the winter, it's 1972. It's not a baseball season, of course, but it's the last year of his life. He would die in October. But it's also a very pivotal uh, pivotal year even before that. Uh, it's the year when he gets sort of repatriated into baseball. He'd been distanced from the game since uh, since he'd retired in 56. And through various things uh, that year, he comes back to the Dodgers. He goes on the field at the World Series, re- really reengages with the game. So it, it may... It, it, sort of presented itself as a way to tell the story and it was um it, it was just you know, a way to have a clear look again with with what i thought would be graspable and a good way to look at him and see there really were quite a lot of changes not only in robinson's life his own evolution but certainly in the environment around him in, in america in his local environment and in the larger environment of the country so you've done books on joe dimaggio and pete rose and now jackie are you and I, I don't know if the word nervous is the right word but there's a preconceived perhaps notion or a narrative because it's been put out there all three of these gentlemen that have have had enough written about them spoken about them movies and uh documentary types things about their lives are you nervous that you will not find a different way to speak about jackie's life because it just feels like so much has been done or was that alleviated pretty quickly with not only the approach of how you wanted to do it but maybe taking a different approach to doing the digging for the information you were looking for yeah, no, again, Chris, good good question. I mean, it's certainly, you know, you think about it beforehand. And um, when, when I write a book, I do as much for myself as for any other reason, a, a pretty extensive um, 
you know, proposal or outline of the book. Uh, and and if I can't get to that, I know by the time I've done that, whether it's 10,000 words or whatever exactly, uh, I've spent my time putting it together where mm-hmm. I've looked at the different avenues of reporting, I've mapped out, begun to write a chapter, all of those things. If I can't get there, I can't get there. And I, and, I, and if I can't, don't feel like there is something new to say, something distinct to bring to the table uh, that, that ideally would engage readers, uh, I'm not going to go there. So by the time I'm really getting into the book, I have confidence that, that we've I've come upon something new and, and that it would be, um, you know, that it would be a, be a, a strong way to tell the story in, in a fresh angle. So there's a go, no-go approach, and I'm sure that's happened on a couple of projects where you do look at it and say, that's a no-go now. Yeah, there are, that's happened from time to time, uh, no question, um, with, with different different figures. Um, uh, that, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't necessarily re- revisit them later. You know, certainly in the case of Jackie Robinson, another thing that's important is, is our, our, our own perspective changes. Yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, there's new people who, you know, the, the, the last really sort of soup to nuts biography of Jackie was now like 25 years ago. And, and that's not an excellent book and, and, and it's great that it was out there. That's not what I'm trying to do. But, but it's also there's been new readers but even those of us who we be all individually changed, right? So we look at things through a different lens individually and as a society. There are new books about Abraham Lincoln as well, and and we see we, we bring the different things to the table, right? You, you never step in the same river twice, as the saying goes, because we're different people. Right. So well, that's that's part of what plays in as well. Yeah. The other part is, and it's very interesting you say that because I've maintained for years, and you try to express to your children, and and even in the job that I do, when you have these conversations with people, the time part of this might arguably be the most important element in in having a conversation or a follow-up or a look back, because I agree with you. You try to explain to people, you don't live in the past. You don't have historical reference while you're living in the present. Therefore, the time element, and whether it's societal, whether it's the game itself, um, there's a lot of elements that will help change and dictate how something is read. Look, I know if I read the same exact passage 25 years ago or 30 years ago when I was in college, as opposed to now, it would hold a different meaning. Why would it be different if you were actually talking about somebody's life? Yeah, no, it's different simply because, as you say, you know, you say very well, it's different because of what there are two people engaged, uh, at least in a in a in a reading experience. And that's the, the writer and the reader. And um, ideally, the, the writer is saying something fresh and new and engaging. And ideally, the reader is bringing a, 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 a certain perspective. And that reader's perspective, of course, changes over time and changes due to circumstances and environment. How much audio and video is available on Jackie? I know the whether whether it's a Dick Cavett show, whether it's were there things? Did people point you in directions where you actually got to hear Jackie and see Jackie speaking about himself and his life? There's some out there, you know, not what you would, you know, not not from a player uh, by today's time if it was an active star player who was out there but there is he of course was 
the most famous athlete in the world in 1949, for example, uh, uh, in the heart of his career, um, and was remained sort of a, a celebrity voice um, out there. So there, there certainly are there's radio broadcasts, there's some game descriptions. Um, I, I worked with uh, MLB Network, mm-hmm. where where I am today, to, to get some um, footage on um, on Jackie. Uh, but there was there's not a ton of it, but there there's enough. There's sort of uh, enough to really give you a sense. I mean, I spent a lot of time watching his his batting sense, watching how he ran, watching how he engaged, um, and and other descriptions. You, you're depending upon something we don't have as much of today is you know, newspapers, right? So not not only are there different newspapers, we have, we have more than that number of outlets, obviously on mm-hmm. on the internet today, but not, but not that many reporters. Uh, you, you'd go back after an everyday game, and there'd be 10, 11 daily newspapers uh, reporters there just from your own hometown, uh, plus visiting clubs and stuff. So there was a lot of people observing and and describing him in different ways, and of course all the other players as well. I think his Hall of Fame plaque, more than anything else, will tell you who Jackie Robinson was. Tell everybody what it doesn't say on his Hall of Fame plaque. Well, what his, his Hall of Fame plaque, initially it's interesting you bring it up, when he went in in 1962, uh, Jackie wanted to make sure that there was no mention whatsoever of his breaking the color barrier, of what he had endured, uh, anything. And that was by Jackie's decision. He wanted his sort of goal for equality was to be just one of the guys. Um, and so the, his initial Hall of Fame plaque talked about how he was a batting champion, an MVP, the bases he stole, um, fielding accolades, other, other statistical things. Um, and it was only later, uh, long after he had passed that uh, Rachel Robinson worked with the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and said, listen, this is a teaching moment and this is something we should include and went back and now his plaque reads that he had, was the first uh, African-American player in, in, in Major League Baseball in the 20th century um, and said that he succeeded despite you know, uh, a lot of hardships and bigotry. And um, so that was an important thing to add. And at the same time, I sort of understand the purity of what of what Robinson wanted. And, and he, he wanted that respect as a Hall of Fame caliber ball player. And there's no question, regardless of anything else, and you can never take Jackie out of the context of, of the extraordinary thing that he did. But, but if he did for a moment, he was uh, an, an incredible player by any me- measure, a Hall of Fame caliber player, whatever the circumstances. Can you quickly explain why he stayed away from the game for as long as he did? Well, when he first uh, retired in 1956, um, it was somewhat clouded by he had been traded mm-hmm. to the Dodgers, uh, sorry, from the Dodgers to the Giants, um, a, a trade that he never reported to. He had actually retired before that trade without having told the Dodgers that, that he had. Um, but he was a little, he was bothered that the that the Dodgers had done that trade. But then more specifically, he didn't get a managerial job, didn't get a coaching job, didn't get any kind of a job sort of front office type. Uh, and then he began to move on and move more into the civil rights work that he did and business. 
he was very acutely aware that baseball was not promoting and hiring African-Americans to managerial positions. Robinson aside, they weren't hiring any African-Americans uh, or to coaching jobs or to, you know, jobs in the front office. And he didn't like that. And he started, he stopped, he didn't go to old-timer game, old-timers games um, and just people stopped asking. Um, and that combination, that he still loved baseball and when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 62, was very gracious, thanking the game, you know, in many ways is extremely indebted of course to the game but was also uh you know bothered by what had happened uh, or what wasn't happening in terms of progress uh and it was only much later uh in that last year of his life when he was actually at gil hodges funeral uh who died in early 1972 also very young gil gil was late 40 jackie was only 53 when he died um and he saw some of the old dodgers don newcomb in particular and they sort of brought him back to begin a relationship again with the Dodgers, who are now being run by Peter O'Malley, who is the son of Walter O'Malley, who was the man who traded Jackie at the end of his career. So I had the opportunity to speak to Ted Williams in the last year of his life, and he told me a story about, I'd asked him about fishing, and he told me he couldn't fish anymore. He couldn't stand in the river, couldn't keep his balance, couldn't see the horizon, could not do the things physically. And you would think, wow, fishing, it's not very physical. But his eyesight was the problem as much as anything else. Right. Jackie suffered from the same thing. Here's the thing that I, I want to ask you specifically about Jackie, but I've noticed it with other players as I've been in the presence of older players. There's a sympathy, there's an empathy, there's a heart sinking when you realize that these people, they rely on their eyes, they rely on their physical abilities, and all of a sudden that's not there anymore. At the end of Jackie's life, and he did age very quickly, certainly no doubt about it, there has to be that feeling from teammates and people around him, the sense of mortality absolutely will come into play in your own life when you see that, but there's also that you're not really sure how you're supposed to act in front of somebody or how you're supposed to communicate with them. It really, it's sort of heartbreaking to know that that's happening to people who were looked at one way and now are just seen for the human being that they are, especially if there's been physical problems. Uh, it's very well, very well said, and, and I think that that's true. You know, and and certainly in the case of, of Ted Williams, as you mentioned, right? He, for him to lose his eyesight, right? He had probably the best eyesight of anybody, right? And and it was, it's not, it's it's somehow even more dramatic than a, than a a, a non elite athlete. Uh, having that physical decline, and in Jackie's case, right, he was a an MVP of the league and and all that. He was also um, a, a four-letter sports star at UCLA. He had a had been given a bronze cleat from UCLA for his his success in the uh, as a in the backfield on the football field. So he was an extraordinary athlete, even by baseball standards. Many people viewed him at Roy Campanella for one as the greatest athlete they'd ever seen. Uh, and when he went back in nineteen. 72 to the Dodgers uh, for, for an appearance on field. This was in July, so we're uh, about three months or so before he, w- he would pass away. And he saw some people for the first time in a while, uh, and including Campanella, who asked about it shortly afterward, began to, to weep and, and just said it was so hard to see him, you know, what the years do. Um, and Campanella himself, of course, by then was in a wheelchair, uh, not because of age, but because of that tragic accident. Uh, but 
but but exactly what you're saying really came into play for some people. The people who were with him every day and saw it, it was somewhat of a gradual decline, so maybe it wasn't quite as, as um, dramatic. But people, which was the majority of people who would go a while without seeing him, especially for the few years, uh, it was it was pretty heartbreaking, as you said, and, and pretty impactful. Had 1972 happened and he was in better health, had he lived another 5, 10, 20 years, because as you said, he passed away so young, that's not without question. What do you think, boy, this is speculative, and I know you can get in trouble when you try to do these types of things. Because of the experience he had with Peter O'Malley and the ovation and the crowd and being around the guys again, what do you think might have happened to Jackie and his relationship with the game? You know, again, it's, it's purely speculative, but but Jackie was a person who he wanted to move things forward. He wanted progress, and he worked very hard for that, both within baseball and outside of baseball. And he was also a person who worked very much within the system. We think of him as a, at, rightfully, we think of him as a disruptor, as, as a changer, and he was all those things. But he changed within within the system. He wasn't really a rule breaker. And if, I think that if he had begun to come back, even in you know, his last speech on the field in the, in the World Series before Game 2 of the 72 World Series, which now, Chris, is just nine days before he dies, he's extremely gracious and thanks Pee Wee Reese is there, thanks, said we could have never done it without the captain, Pee Wee Reese. He thanks Brant Rickey. He thanks baseball for the opportunity. And then his last sentence is, and I'll be even happier when there's a, I see a, a, a black manager on the field here. And I think he would have, with that door open, I my guess is he would have worked within baseball, um, continuing his own sort of insistence and continue to press on the things that he felt needed to happen. Uh, but he would have seen it as a way to make progress. So again, it is purely speculative, but I, but I could, you could certainly see that happening. That would be consistent with the way he behaved in general and his, his overall approach. Jackie Robinson at his best. Finish the sentence. Jackie Robinson at his best is is told how. I'm sorry. Say that again, Chris. Yes. Jackie Robinson at his best. What would be told? How? How would you? Jackie Robinson at his best was an example of. How would you finish that? Oh, I would say Jackie Robinson's best was a, was an example of of uh, determination, strength, purpose. Uh, and I guess that wraps up into the title of my book being true. Uh, he he was very focused on his mission, and he uh, his effort was was unfailing, and his determination was unfailing, and it led to him when he had the physical gifts to be the best player in the world. It led to him becoming the best player in the world. When he had lesser physical gifts, he still became a, a very productive player. And when he was outside of the sport. That determination and that insistence allowed him to have really a remarkable impact uh, on the ground and, and, and giving economic opportunity to people around him and also as sort of a celebrity voice. So he, uh, Jack Robinson at best, was, was, there was no quit in him, and he had a clear purpose and a clear determination. As a historian, would you declare that his life, one of the five most impactful perhaps of the 20th century, certainly in America? Is that fair? Well, 
it's certainly fair to say it. You'd have to go through through the lives, you know. And we've we've had Roosevelt and and, and mm-hmm. presidents, and but his, his there's no question that his impact was remarkably impactful. And, and Dr. King, who um, Jackie Robinson worked with quite a bit uh, later in in life, uh, he himself, King said, you know, he what, uh, talk about what he owed to Jackie for having sort of set the stage. Remember when when Robinson broke in, uh, Dr. King was uh, was a student. He was 18 years old. He hadn't given a public speech yet, and it was long before Rosa Parks. It was before any of the seminal moments of what we consider the modern civil rights movement. Of course, the struggle for civil rights goes back to the 1600s, so that none of that is new. But uh, by coming in in, the, in 46, 47, uh, he was really a, a, a paving the way for what would come. By the time Jackie retired at 56, we're in the middle of the Montgomery bus boycott, which was a, obviously a, one of the crucial moments of the civil rights struggle of, of that era. So he really, he, he, you can't really overstate the impact he had. You almost can't quantify it uh, because it, it, it occurred on a visceral level in many ways. Yeah, and, and again, when I think of in, in import, when you try to describe how important somebody is, it's not just their life, it's the branches that come off it. It's the left turns and the right turns and how it affects other people and how you then create a thousand more branches. And I think Jackie Robinson is one of those people who fits into that. There's no straight line in his life because this person's impacted and they go impact other people, whether it's for the good or the bad. The Jackie Robinson Foundation, if you think about the impact that that has had uh, on, on you know, youth going to college, that, that's one of those multi-level branches that you have to talk about and think about as well. You took the words right out of my mouth, Chris. I think that's a, that's a terrific example. The Jackie Robinson Foundation, which, which Rachel, Jackie's widow, founded within a year of his death. And uh, it's very focused, as you mentioned, on, on putting kids into college. That's its mission. And it has changed thousands of, of lives um, through that commitment and giving kids an opportunity to get to college and mentoring them through, through college. Uh, it, it's really Rachel is an extraordinary, extraordinary person herself and was really in tandem with, with Jackie. So that this foundation is, is her work, but also a continuation of his. Um, and, and they're changing people. And the people who are now at, at Jackie Robinson Foundation, Della Britton, who's the CEO and the others, are continuing that mission now, 75 years after Jackie broke in and there's no end in sight you know the foundation is only growing and getting more impactful so that's just one of of many examples of how he has has continued to change lives in in our environment today last thing i want to go back to the ted williams thing um i had asked him about what kind of father he was and i i've had the pleasure to speak to rachel robinson on a couple of occasions had a chance to meet her we actually did one of these conversations about her life and jackie's life obviously um, but there is this interesting thing when you talk about who you are versus what you do. And, and when you're away and on the road and you're dealing with other things, what kind of father you turn out to be. Uh, did you get an impact? Did you get a feeling about the impact of Jackie as a father, whether it was from Rachel or anybody else around him? Because I do know, you know, Williams was a guy who said, I could have been and should have been better. And I know that when you're dealing in the Robinson family, there's tragedy in that family as well. And it, it, it really is, how do we go on? And did I do everything I could have to maybe help avoid this. Um, Do you sense that by the time his life, later in life, he had resigned himself to the fact that he had done the best he could at everything he did? 
I think he was acutely aware that, that he had made sacrifices. And, you know, you talk about the loss of Jackie Jr., mm-hmm. who died a year before Jackie did um, in a car accident and had had a, a troubled uh, young life before then, a, a late teenhood and early 20s, had had, had difficulty um, in, on various levels. And I think, you know, J- Jackie came out and said, look, I, I was I was sometimes too concerned with um, people everywhere uh, and other people's children and didn't spend enough time on my own. And I think that was a, a, a regret. He was out there. He did. Jackie Robinson did so much work as a public figure, again, fighting for the cause. And sometimes I think he felt maybe he hadn't been there enough for, for Jackie Jr., who was the youngest child and also bore the pressure of, of being also named Jackie yes. Robinson. Yep. Uh, so I think he, 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 he owned and faced some regret. Um, he had a wonderful relationship with his other kids, very close with Sharon, um, Sharon Robinson. But I think he knew that he did give, you know, part of it was you know, inevitable, I suppose, in that there was a lot of travel and travel took longer and was more draining then than it is today. And uh, but, but also that sometimes he had been so engaged with the larger fight, uh, obviously an extraordinarily noble and important fight, that, that maybe he hadn't had quite enough, enough time with, with the people who he loved and who defined him. Um, and, and I think that maybe there was a, a little bit of regret there, yes. Are you, and I'll finish with this, do you consider yourself an old soul? When you write about Joe DiMaggio, when you write about Jackie Robinson, um, I know that speaking to some of these gentlemen, whether it's a story that they're telling or you think about it afterwards, whether it was a simpler time, that's certainly to be debated. Um, but the idea, do you, do you think about how you would have fit in as a writer back then, as a, I don't know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm a little bit older, I think, than my chrono- chronological age. In, in a sense that mm-hmm. I think I have a, a sentimentality um, to things from this era, the 50s and the 60s, which I was just a, a kid in the 60s. Do, do you find yeah. yourself, is that why the subjects are intriguing to you? Do you think you're a little bit of an older soul? Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, one of the, one of, a couple of things. In some ways, I feel that the, the privilege and the experience of getting to go back in and, and live and engage in the world of a different time uh, is really powerful. And, and having the opportunity to speak to people who are, you know, 40 years older than me yeah. uh, or whatever it might be, telling me about their lives. And, and you see, as we all remember, our childhood so brightly and clearly and, and with great impressions and, and experiencing that with them and learning from them, that's all really a gift and, and, and I love it. And I love being feeling, trying to do my best to represent the way the time was and the way things felt through as much reporting as I can. I, I don't feel a sort of sense of longing like, oh, I wish I was alive then. I feel, you know, in, in, in the words of Hamilton, how, how lucky we are to be yeah. alive right now. Um, that, that this is a great time to be alive and a great time to, to you know, we've got today and and so i don't really quite go there in terms of of feeling that i belong there but i certainly have a great appreciation and and honoring of of what that that past meant uh in this country and 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 again that's probably why i'm drawn to to exploring it well congratulations on the book i know there's going to be a lot of activity around it um this weekend through the four seasons of jackie robinson costa kennedy award-winning writer and i do know perfect timing in terms of you know the uh, anniversaries 50 of his passing 75th i'm so glad baseball came to their senses and we're playing the game and we're going to have jackie robinson day the way that it's supposed to be done uh i know the book will actually in terms of the timing of that um i I think again a lesson 
that needs to be retold because, as you said, 25 years later, while we mentioned Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson, it's not just supposed to be a name. It's not just even supposed to be the number 42. It's supposed to be why is this important, and I do think that your book absolutely hits on, and, and the approach that you use hits on why Jackie Robinson, the story, the man beyond the baseball field, uh, is still worth talking about and is important to be talked about as well. Well, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to be on and, and talk with you about this. It's certainly a, obviously a, a, a book and project and, and subject, which is extremely close to me and, and uh, obviously to you as well. Uh, so it, 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 was, it was great to be on with you and have such a, such a conversation as this um, with you. So thanks a lot for the opportunity. Yeah, well, and we'll finish here. I'll just tell you thank you very much again. I'll, I'll let it out the end. Uh, but even the boys of summer and some of the other things that have been done. You know, Sandy is sort of the, the great white whale. He's the holy grail. Uh, I've laughed. I, I've probably spoken to 50-plus Hall of Famers, most of them deceased now. And Sandy's always the one. Uh, I probably should have had – did you have any contact with Sandy in particular? I did not, no. I didn't, I didn't speak with him directly in yeah. this, uh, for this book. Yeah, I know Carl Erskine has been uh, great about – telling stories over the years and i'm so happy he's still with us to do it but um yeah so i did speak to carl and i, and yeah, I, I know uh, yeah. and, and ralph frank as yep. well obviously he's passed away but yes. over the years yep. you know that, it is probably true as it is to you too but i've been gathering string on this book for a number of years so yep. um the conversations yeah well congratulations on it i know you're going to be busy this weekend and beyond i really hope um it, it gets as widespread read as it's supposed to congratulations Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks, Costa. Have a really good weekend. You too. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.